0: Sing for your luncheon and you'll get dinner
1: Dine with wine of choice
2: If romance is in your
0: voice
3: Hello and welcome to Voicebox, your eclectic weekly guide to the human voice and the best of the vocal music scene. I'm your host Chloe Veltman, thanks for joining me this evening. If you want to get a feel for how segmented and cliquey a typical American university campus can be, look no further than its a cappella scene. In a special report for this evening's Voicebox, Stanford student Sandra Clark gives us the lowdown on the many groups to be found around her campus and why so many members of the student body are jumping on the a cappella bandwagon.
4: I'm on the steps of the Stanford University Bookstore, looking up at a group of excited guys, my classmates, gathering together to sing. They look like me, like typical college students, with their Converse, jeans, and t-shirts. But one guy stands out. He's wearing black slacks, a white button-up with a black silk vest on top, and a red bow tie. This is the official Fleet Street performance uniform, But it's not required on Fridays, when the Fleet Street Singers gather at 4pm to sing at The Claw, the big fountain at the center of Stanford's campus. This is their weekly free concert, cleverly titled Claw Capella, which they've initiated this year. They usually sing with talisman, but this week, talisman couldn't make it, so the Fleet Street Singers take off alone with their comedic, boyish charm.
1: Oh, I ache for the touch of your lips,
0: yeah, but much more for the touch of your whims dear. Yeah. You can raise like nobody else as we dance to the masochism
1: tango. Bum, bum.
4: The Fleet Street singers pride themselves on being Stanford's funny musical guys.
1: If people keep laughing at it, we'll probably keep doing it.
4: Some of the other a cappella groups on campus pride themselves on just the opposite, on being truly serious about music. Or at least, their reputation is that they take themselves seriously. Alex Gamberg, once a member of Mixed Company, talks about campus stereotypes.
2: I know Mixed Co. has the identity of sort of being the drunken partiers. Fleet Street is, are like, you know, the goofy, awkward guys. Counterpoint, it's an all-girls group. Kind of screechy, uh, not great singers. Mendicants are kind of the awkward guys who can't sing very well. But none of these stereotypes really hold. Um, I think all the groups, I've heard all the groups, they're all very good, but they kind of, um, this is what we make
4: fun of them for. Each of the nine a cappella groups at Stanford has its own reputation, its own image, and really, its own world. The a cappella groups create subcultures within the broader culture of music at Stanford carving out beautiful and varying musical landscapes for Stanford's residents and neighbors to explore. In one concert hall, you might see the vivid rock landscape of the harmonics, filled with its digitally enhanced voices and lasers that light up the stage. Then, you might move to the auditorium next door, where the sensual Motown, soul, and R&B of everyday people invites you in. In the building just behind, you might hear one of Ragapella's Hindi songs escaping from behind a closed door. And if you wander further, you might even get to experience a religious moment as you stumble upon one of Testimony's heart-opening Christian praise songs. A lot of work goes into acapella and a lot of time, and not just time for practicing, but also time for performing on and off campus, touring nationally and internationally, and recording albums. And let's not forget all the time spent just hanging out. Because of the huge time commitment a cappella entails, many people, like Alex, stop out after a year or two, causing Stanford's groups to consist mostly of freshmen and sophomores. But some students stick with it through senior year and even beyond. Take Charlie Forkish, two-time musical director of the Harmonics. He brought the Harmonics from a typical college a cappella group to a nationally recognized vocal rock band, as he calls it. Here's how he did it.
2: So I went to uh, this a cappella festival in North Carolina called Sojam, and I saw a group from Finland called Fork perform, and they were using tons of um, like guitar pedal effects and stuff like that on their voices, and just the four of them were making this room shake like a, you know, like a rock concert, right? You know, and I was like, man, if we're calling ourselves a rock group, we gotta be doing that. Um, then uh, the very next year, the group was inspired and motivated, and we bought the equipment and put in the time and started doing shows like that.
4: Charlie Forkish has graduated from Stanford, but he still helps the harmonics with audio effects and recording. Appropriately, he now works at MCDSP, the software company that makes the audio software he used with the harmonics. Talisman, one of campus's most well-known acapella groups, exists because students wanted a space to tell stories through song stories from cultures all around the world, often in languages other than English. For Charlie Johnson, one of the group's co-presidents, singing with talisman has taught him to sing with intention.
1: The group as as a whole asks itself frequently, who are we to sing this song, or why should we be singing this song? A conversation that's come up a few times this year in particular is uh, surrounding correctional facilities, prisons, um, because a couple of the songs we sing derive from chain haulers. Uh, And that's been a particularly relevant conversation for me because uh, a close friend of mine uh, was recently incarcerated and it's very difficult to even fathom where he is and, and what situation he's in. But I think uh, what it connects to is, is kind of the inspiration to learn more about something that's unfamiliar uh, to oneself.
4: As Charlie has learned through singing with Talisman, Collegiate a cappella isn't just about absorbing yourself into a musical subculture or new social scene. Collegiate a cappella also has the potential to teach its participants how pure, unfettered song can serve as a window into another world, whether that's the world of another culture, or the world of an institution, or the world of another individual. At the end of one of Talisman's rehearsals, Spirits are so high that the singing continues for a half hour longer. Songs are improvised, built upon, played with, and danced to. Smiles are on every face, including my own. For all the effort that goes into acapella at Stanford, it's actually a relatively simple thing. Just open your voice and sing. Sing together and take joy in that. This is Xandra Clark, reporting for Voicebox.
3: If you've just joined us, welcome. I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox, Public Radio's weekly series about the human voice. Voicebox is available as a free weekly podcast on iTunes and at voicebox-media.org. That Voicebox special report about the Stanford University a cappella scene was produced by Zandra Clark. Zandra's piece provides a great introduction to tonight's journey into the world of collegiate a cappella. But before we get into some of the stuff that Zandra talks about in her piece, I have some introductions to make. I'm joined in the studio today by four fantastic guests who are all experts of one kind or another on the topic of college at acapella welcome bill Hare, Deke sharon charlie forkish and will tarpe thanks to all of you for coming in today
5: our pleasure thank you
3: and we also have one guest joining us from los angeles on the phone mickey rapkin hi mickey thanks for joining us
0: hey how are you
3: very well thanks so some uh, brief biographical information about my many guests Deke Sharon is an a cappella producer, arranger and performer and his credits include NBC's The Sing-Off and musical arrangements for The Social Network movie. Bill Hare is an audio producer who specialises in the collegiate a cappella scene. He started out in the 1970s and has recorded many groups over the years. Charlie Forkish is a recent Stanford grad and former director of one of its a cappella groups, the Harmonics, which we heard about in Zidinger's segment just now. And Charlie is currently working as an audio engineer specialising in a cappella. Will Tarpe is a current Stanford student. He sings tenor with another Stanford group we heard about in the report, Talisman. And calling guest Mickey Rapkin is a senior editor at GQ Magazine and the author of the non-fiction book Pitch Perfect: The Quest for Collegiate Acapella Glory. Significantly, Mickey's book, which was published in 2008, is about to be released as a film. Mickey, what details can you reveal about the film at this point?
0: Um, well, we're waiting on a release date now, but you know, Universal was behind it, and, and uh, Deke, who's in the studio, actually did uh, a bunch of music for it. Um, and it's you know, sort of a fictionalized account. It's kind of like Bring It On, but set in the world of collegiate acapella.
3: And it's uh, it's a, a feature film then as opposed to nonfiction, fiction
0: Yeah, it's a big, funny feature film with um, Anna Kendrick, who was nominated for an Oscar for Up in the Air, and Rebel Wilson, who was so funny, in Bridesmaids. Um, it's, they've really put together this great cast.
3: Deke, what can you tell us about the musical arrangements at this point, if anything? Well,
5: uh, the bottom line is when moving into this process, we had to balance the kind of expectation of incredible... Perfection that people hear on Glee, which is very computerized and synthesized, and the actual natural sound of collegiate a cappella, which uh, Sandra had so beautifully uh, displayed in her report. And I think we found just the right balance between the two, where it sounds great and yet it still has a live, natural energy. But uh, we won't know till
3: release date, will we? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> we're all looking forward to getting out and, and seeing the movie when it finally comes out. So, a question for whom, whomever of you feels like answering. So, you've got shows like The Sing Off, and you've got Glee, and then the popularity of groups like Straight No Chaser they've done a lot to transform the profile of collegiate a cappella in recent years and um, what do these kinds of things signify in terms of collegiate a cappella's arrival in the mainstream and are, how are these things changing the perceptions of of college a cappella and affecting the art form in a positive or negative way
5: I'd say that a big piece of it is just the natural connection that an audience has to a bunch of people making music and expressing themselves, particularly in a time when technology and computer sounds and synthesizers have taken over popular music it's fun it's playful it's sometimes a little dorky or geeky as uh, I know Mickey well knows when he (laughs) dove into this whole world Mm -hmm. and yet it's also infectious and uh, the joy that people have singing really comes across the screen be it a small screen or a big screen
3: do any of you perceive any negative effects to this massive flourishing that we're having at the moment I mean perhaps a a feeling that it might be a, a trend that's around for a few years and then go back to its sort of more closeted sense perhaps Mickey have you got any thoughts on that
0: I mean I don't think there's a negative side at all. You know, I mean what's more, you know, the human voice has been around forever. You know, it's not a music and the human voice are not going away. Um it's not really a trend. Um it's nice to see, you know, it getting finally getting this kind of recognition, you know, seeing it. I I I I caught a little screening actually last night, a little preview screening of the movie of a rough cut and I was sitting in the audience, I just was like, wow, there's a studio movie about a cappella music. You know, about this thing that I did when I was in college and Deke and these guys did when they were in school that has now, you know, grown much larger than any of us could have anticipated. You know, you see these jokes on 30 Rock and on The Office on NBC, you know, a cappella jokes. I think we all kind of enjoyed them. It feels like uh, finally we're we're coming into our own. I love to catch brass strings on the merry-go-round, the merry-go-round, that's me. While others play croquet, embroider or crochet, I like to dissipate in my own way. I love each hobby
3: horse on the merry-go-round, the ones that go up and down.
0: You just ride like Paul Revere on the merry merry-go-round. I love to catch dress rings on the merry-go-round, the merry-go-round. That's me. While
3: others make crochet and border all crochet, I
0: like to dissipate my.
3: You're tuned into Voicebox with me, Chloe Veltman. Don't forget that you can access our free weekly podcasts, playlists, and all kinds of other info about our series at voicebox-media.org. We're talking about the wild world of college a cappella with a group of experts in the field. In the studio we have Deke Sharon, Will Tarpe, Charlie Forkish and Bill Hare and Mickey Rapkin is joining us on the phone. We just flung ourselves way back into the past with an early recording from a collegiate a cappella group. That was the Tufts Beelzebubs with brass rings and the track dates back to 1964. Mickey, while I've got you on the phone, and because you have a, a good overview of these things as the author of a book on the subject of a cappella, could you give us a brief summary of the early history of the art form? Where do its roots lie?
0: Sure. You know, um, collegiate a cappella started in 1909 at Yale um, with a group called the Whiffenpoofs, and Poofs, who, you know, would gather at this this restaurant, this bar called Maury's and they would just sing together. And it just, you know, grew from there, there was a huge explosion in the 80s and 90s. Um, and really now it's everywhere. You know, there's, a, there's more than 1,200 groups at these college campuses uh, and then another 1,200 at least in high schools. It's really become its own massive genre.
3: Okay. Thanks for joining us on the phone, Mickey, and we're looking forward to seeing your movie, Pitch Perfect.
0: Great. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Bye.
3: Um, okay, well, I'll throw that question out to any of the rest of you. Could do any of the rest of you here in the studio with me um, have anything else to tell us about those early years of a cappella in the states?
5: Well, the bottom line is that the collegiate a cappella world was pretty much isolated to the Ivy League and the sister schools uh, that were associated with them. Um, and as late as the as 1989, there were only about 200 college a cappella groups, almost entirely in that eastern. New England Corridor.
3: So let's move forward in time a little uh, to the late 80s and early 1990s. Mickey mentioned that there was this big change, this big explosion around then. Bill and Dick, you were both on the scene back then, and I gather that time was a major turning point in the development of a cappella, both in terms of the way in which groups started to experiment with their voices and also in the ways they recorded their work. Um, Can both of you tell us a little bit about? what you were up to around then, and the sorts of innovations that you developed?
6: Well, Deacon and I came at it from totally different places. He was in it, in the middle of it. I had it thrust upon me and kind of question, what, what is this? Uh, the mendicants came to my studio, and as far as I knew, this was the only collegiate a cappella group in the world. <laughs> uh, I had no idea there was another scene. There wasn't an inter- internet yet for me to look it up. Uh, so. So you were just I, a recording engineer doing other I was other a recording projects. engineer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I came at it uh, just as that recording of the Bub from 1964. I put up two mics, and it sounded like it was in the bottom of the well.
3: <laughs> okay, and then what happened? Uh,
6: well, I did several of those albums. Mm-hmm. And a few years later, uh, I was just so tired of it, I decided to uh, try to experiment a little bit for the next one that came in. And, and luckily, that group was, again, the Mendicants, uh, was uh, willing to... Do some experimenting. What kind of experimenting did you do? We mic'd each person individually, like a band. That was what made the big difference. Yeah, it, it it brought each voice about two inches from your ears, rather than in the back of the room or the bottom of the well.
3: All right, we've got two clips. That I want to play this, the "Stand by Me" that you did from 1988-89, and then the "You Can't Touch This" Great. by the, uh, which was from 1991. You can really yeah. hear the difference. Dum,
0: dum, bo-do-dum, dum, bo-do-dum, dum. Oh, when the night damn. has come, and the land damn. is dark, damn. and the moon
5: is the only damn.
4: light will
5: see damn. Oh,
0: damn.
4: No, I won't, won't
6: no I, I
0: won't be afraid. No, I won't be afraid. You can't touch this about the pop of the
4: pop of
0: the pop of the pop of the pop of the you of the me Two rap and two life feet feels good When you know you're down Super dope homeboy from a oak town and I know As such, this is the beat up You can't touch Yo, I told you homeboys You can't touch this Yeah,
1: that's how we're living and you know can't touch this Look in my eyes, man You can't touch this Yo, let me
3: bust the funky lyrics Two excerpts uh, from 1988-89 and then 1991 showing the radical change that was brought about by one of my guests today, Bill Hare, when he started experimenting with microphones when he was working with a Stanford-based a cappella ensemble, The Mendicants. This is Voicebox. I'm Chloe Veltman. And the first track, of course, was Stand By Me, famous Benny King song. And uh, and the group was uh, The Mendicants, as I mentioned. And then secondly, we heard the MC Hammer hit. Uh, you can't touch this. So, Deke, also around that time, you were a member of the Tufts Beelzebubs. Indeed. And you were experimenting in a completely different way. Tell us about what you were up to back then.
5: Well, recordings for us were secondary. The the most important thing was live performance. And when you're singing in a male a cappella group, your primary goal in life is to get every woman in the audience to fall in love with you. At least that was my goal. (laughs) And and then have all the guys be like, oh man, he's so cool. Uh, Don't know about that part if it ever worked, but the female (laughs) falling in love with you part definitely was goal number one. And um, the best way to do this, uh, I thought, was to, I'd go to Tower Records each week because I wanted to get songs before they peaked on the charts, so we'd be singing a song just as it got popular on the radio, uh-huh. and um, I started encountering the problem that song after song was just outside of the realm of what worked well in the acapella tradition. Hmm. Songs like The Longest Time by Billy Joel or a Crosby Stills and Nash tune very naturally would translate to acapella. But if you wanted to do a song by U2 or you wanted to do a song by Peter Gabriel that was very rhythmic and percussive mm. and driving guitars and whatever, it just didn't work to sing "shooby doo wop and ooh and ah and everything. Mm. So, yeah, so that was the big conundrum.
3: So what do you do about it?
5: Well, I was going to Music Conservatory at the same time, and I grabbed a piece of big staff notation paper that you would do orchestral scoring on, and I really decided to treat the voices as instruments. In fact, <clears throat> to do the song um, In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, which was in the movie Say Anything, and I, you know, that's epic scene holding the beatbox yeah
3: it's engraved on Kubek my set. Exactly. memory exactly i was
5: like if we sing that everyone's gonna love us so i had four different people doing vocal percussion parts one guy on talking drum and another on shaker and a kick and a snare and then other guys were singing synthesizer lines and we had 14 guys in the group and the arrangement had 14 parts which was v- unusual back then it was really the tradition was, you had four different background parts, tenor one, tenor two, baritone and bass, and then maybe one soloist in the front, and that was it. Do, do, do.
4: Sometimes days pass, And this emptiness fills
3: my heart This is Voicebox with me, Chloe Veltman. We just heard a track from 1990 by the Beelzebubs of Tufts University, In Your Eyes. It was arranged by one of tonight's guests, Deke Sharon, who was part of the group back then. So let's move on in time a little bit, Uh, moving into the present day and talking more generally about the collegiate a cappella scene. I'd like to ask you guys, particularly Charlie and Will, to what extent do you think innovation in the field of a cappella happens on university campuses? Is there something about being in a university setting that makes it particularly fertile for new ideas in the field?
1: I think there definitely is. Um, the fact that we have nine a cappella groups on campus means we can't all do the same thing. Um, so by necessity we each have to be, be a little different. And also in things like things like clock a cappella that Talisman does with Fleet Street, those are kind of what we call low risk performances, right? If someone screws up it's not going to be the end of the world. You just smile and it's beautiful weather outside, you just keep going. <laughs> um, so there, are, we perform a lot on our campus and that helps us um, take some time to do things differently because otherwise we'll get tired of the songs, not to mention everyone. Uh, who listens to them year after year, um, and I think also the repertoire changing is a big, a big part of the innovation as well.
3: So um, Talisman and Harmonics uh, exist in some ways at very different ends of the a cappella spectrum on the Stanford campus. Can you tell us a little bit about what your groups have in, in common? You know, because. Um, talisman is is very focused on world music singing things in in uh, n- not not in english and harmonics is uh, and more like a folk music tradition and and harmonics is is all about the big rock sound and the effects and so on
2: Where's well I think that the uh, main thing that we have in common is just that you know it 's a group of friends getting get together to sing together and you know for for everyone who does a cappella in college that 's the bottom line is it's a it 's a fun musical outlet you know way to relieve some stress from classes and that sort of thing and no matter what kind of music you're making that's I think the bottom line.
3: Is there a sense of rivalry between the groups or is it all very friendly?
2: I I would say it's, it's mostly friendly every once in a while you know there'll be a sort of fun playful rivalry between two of the groups but it's usually between groups that are a little bit more similar than harmonics and talisman we can't really have a rivalry with each other because like you say we're on such opposite ends of the spectrum
1: yeah I think the the two times any sort of rivalry comes around is at the beginning of the year when we're doing auditions Um,
3: vying for the same scene exactly
1: but we have some some structures in place to take care of that like we all make sure that everyone no matter how many groups you try out for, you can go to your callbacks for each group um, and these sorts of things. And also when shows are on the same day, sometimes that can uh-huh. that can get testy. But we also try to say when our shows are months out. But uh-huh. Inevitably, two shows are on the same day.
3: But yeah. are you both really competing for the same singers? I mean, the sounds that you're expecting or making with your group are very different in some mm-hmm. ways than the ones that Charlie... Is looking well, for. I
2: think when um, freshmen get to Stanford, they don't necessarily know that there are so many options for how you could sing. You know, uh-huh. a lot of them have never even seen a cappella before, and the ones that have have um, generally seen, you know, a fairly fairly narrow um, spectrum of that. And since Stanford has nine different groups, um, you know, th- they're all. It, you kind of want to you want to convince these impressionable freshmen that yours yours is the music that they want to sing. So, so yeah, I mean. To some extent, we are vying for the same um, singers, but also over the course of the audition process, you know, you'll be auditioning someone and be like, "They're awesome, but they, you know, clearly enjoy this kind of music, so we're probably not going to get them." That type of thing. You kind of start to realize who you, yeah. who you're going. For. Yeah, we get a few people that try out
1: for like every group. Like I know, I could say like maybe fewer Nine? than five freshmen Nine that auditions? try out for like. Eight, they, um. they can't try out for Counterpoint if they're a man. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or no one has yet, let's put it, <laughs> put it that way. Um, but uh, there are a lot of uh, people who tr- just try out for two or three groups because they, they come in knowing a little more about the groups. And I think, to go back to our earlier discussion, it's, it's great that um, people have seen a cappella, they've seen Glee and things like that, um, but then they may not have an idea of what, what each group does. Or they may expect that we all do uh, things like things like Glee or things like the sing-off. but. Um, I think the audition process helps them figure that out.
3: So, Will, what are your priorities in terms of artistic content and production values as the director of Talisman?
1: Uh, I think it's it's very important that uh, ultimately our music has to has to sound good, and we and we work on that because we are a, we are a singing group. Um, but we also um, since our music tells stories, it's very important that we also understand those stories. Um, and I think. Uh, one of the one of my favorite things about being director in talisman is seeing how telling these stories and talking to each other about all these stories really uh, changes our changes our group members and helps us explore things that we may not have explored inside the classroom. And I think to connect to connect that to what Charlie was talking about, like exploring that, like the sound and audio engineering things, those are things that he may not have run into uh, if not for the harmonics. And I think um, so, acapella is like this great social thing, but it's also a chance for people to explore things that they might not. Run into outside the classroom.
2: Yeah, actually, to get back uh, quickly to your question about innovation, I think that that's one of the reasons that uh, so much of it comes from the colleges because it's it's an environment where you know these groups are entirely student run. They have to put on a show, but they have to make that show up themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, group members will volunteer to you know to create a song or create some part of the show, and sometimes you know they get really into it and get inspired, and they're college students, you know, so they're there to learn, they're there to explore, and. Um, Uh, I think that that's why we get some pretty cool stuff.
3: listening to VoiceBox with Chloe Veltman. In addition to hearing this show on air, you can revisit it anytime via our free weekly podcast series on iTunes. Search for KALW Voicebox. And those podcasts are also available on our website at voicebox-media.org. On tonight's show, I'm chatting with four people who are closely involved with the collegiate a cappella scene. Deke Sharon, Bill Hare, Charlie Forkish and Will Tarpe, the latter of which directs Talisman, the world music-oriented Stanford-based a cappella group whose track... Watch Me Fly, we just heard. So, um, just now, before we play that track, uh, Charlie and Deke, you were talking about the things that Charlie is doing uh, with uh, harmonics in a very innovative way. Can you tell us about what you've been up to, Charlie, with the group?
2: Sure. Um, So, you know, like we've been saying, there are nine a cappella groups on Stanford campus, and each one of them has uh, sort of a niche or a specialty that they Claim and uh, the one that I joined was called The Rock Group on campus. So, we that was kind of our repertoire, is more you know, kind of the hard rock side of pop music. And um, uh, we've been working with Bill Hare for years, and he does awesome production on our albums and turns them into actual rock and roll albums. You know, there's guitar distortion effects and you know, everything that you expect to hear uh, when you listen to a rock band. Um, so, when I started working on our album with Bill and hearing our final mixes, I was just like well this is lame like you know if we're making this kind of music on our albums we should be trying to make this kind of music in our live performances um like xandra's piece mentioned i saw a group uh in north carolina from finland that does that in their live shows they uh you know they run their voices through the exact same sort of effects that fork yes fork um and uh and i just thought it was the coolest thing i'd ever seen you know i was like well if we're making rock music uh let's let's try and let's try and make it like that so we uh we actually got a grant from the Contemporary Acapella Society to buy some live sound equipment, and um, <clears throat> I had been working on our album, so I had uh, been learning, you know, how to use this technology and how to, you know, produce uh, vocal music to make it sound like rock music. So uh, basically, we just we got individual mics. So as Bill said, that's kind of the key thing in terms of getting an actual, you know, big in-your-face sound. Um, so we got individual mics and started running them through a computer and applying all the same sort of effects in our live show that Bill applied to our albums, and that inspired us to also uh, hire like, professional lighting technicians, and later on we started including lasers, and uh, you know, we just basically, we, we thought if we we're going to be the rock group, let's put on a rock and roll show.
5: Maybe you can uh, apply for a grant for a t-shirt gun so you can fire t-shirts (laughs) to (laughs) the stadium audience.
2: Well, you know, didn't you found that uh, society that we got the grant from?
5: Yes, indeed.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So other groups in the country weren't really doing this kind of thing when you were working in that sphere?
2: So uh, on the collegiate level, no. Um, Bill knows a lot more about how many were doing it on the pro level. Well, no, other
6: groups were intimidated when they saw the videos. It was just such a buzz when those when those harmonics videos came out. It mm-hmm. um, was like, okay, we're all way behind. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there were, yeah, of course, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, professional groups. Uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, what's the group from Seattle? Jake's old group. Uh, uh, K-
5: Kickshaw. Kitch- Kitch- uh, Kitch- Kitch- yeah, Kickshaw was. And, and, um, and, uh, Five
6: O'Clock Shadow yeah. on East Coast. Street
5: Nicks. Street Knicks, yeah. Up in, yeah, up in Canada. Group. There were a handful of groups, but... But they're smaller in number. These mm-hmm. groups are normally th- four or five people. Mm-hmm. Charlie had a group with over a dozen people in it and have that many stomp boxes, that mm-hmm. many voices layered was is, is a much more mm-hmm. effective r- representation of what is actually happening on the albums where nowadays groups will record up to two hundred tracks of layered mm-hmm. voices. Wow yep
3: yeah, I mean you know this is of course an important basic point to make about collegiate a cappella versus professional acapella that the groups are often very much larger. Uh, mm-hmm. you have what as many as what 20 in a group maybe more whereas professional groups tend to be a handful more or less and and what are the actually what are the reasons for the large numbers be good to talk about that briefly.
2: I think well (laughs) uh, I think it depends on the group I think in general it's it's largely just that um, it's easier to create a good sound and you know have fun with a bunch of people Um, you know if you're gonna have a small group you need to all be really great singers Mm and in in the On the collegiate level, you know, it's a little bit more of an amateur thing. So Mm -hmm. you kind of get a bunch of singers, you average out to something good.
6: It might just be tradition. I mean, the groups have always been large, you know, for a hundred years, and and they just kind of changed their repertoire rather than, Uh you know, how they're... In, in the
5: case of the Beelzebubs, uh, there's a ceiling limit of 15 on the group, and uh-huh. that's because that's how many people fit in a 15-passenger van. So you can go to North Carolina <laughs> for a road so trip real. from Boston. So I mean, that's real. really yeah. that
3: makes that's sense. what it is. That makes, yeah. But also, there's the turnover thing, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, you know, oh, you're yeah. four years of college and yeah.
1: you're out. Turnover there. can be real, especially because we have most of the time. Like uh, someone was mentioning in Zandra's piece, junior year is the time when people take a break; they've had enough for a little while, and then they may come back senior year. But in Talisman, there was one year a few years ago where there were only eight people returning to the group. And so they went a little overboard and took 15 new people. Oh, gave wow. us a group of 23, and that uh, kept happening. Once didn't, you have didn't a group fit of 23, on the bus, like Bill said, it just <laughs> keeps going. And we got down to got down to 19 this year, but usually we hang out yeah. about about 20. Yeah, but I love the. 15 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Having just been to South Carolina and Atlanta on a tour, I love the 15. We had to rent three minivans. And yeah. One exciting.
2: huge thing we were also encountering is the, my first year in the Harmonics, we were 17 and then later we were only 13 and there's just a huge huge difference between the level of commitment required so by true. each member. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just get back to this technology question and the, and the effects that you've been working on, Charlie. Um, what's it like for the singers, you know, these student singers, some of which haven't necessarily had a lot of exposure to acapella and suddenly you're giving them these really radical arrangements and you're going to put everything through computers and there's going to be lasers and, you know, that, that can be maybe very disorienting for someone who is just used to maybe standing up and just singing a song, for example, all the way through. How, what's it like as a singer to be in the, in the harmonics, given what you do with the sounds?
2: Well, it was. I mean, it was definitely disorienting. We uh, we worked really hard, really quickly to kind of throw it together. We were uh, originally, when I had the idea of trying to take the group in that direction, I was expecting it to take several years, maybe a decade or so before we were finally there. And instead, we did it in a couple months. Um, and <laughs> so, um, but but the thing was, we had just finished working on this album that we had all committed to. Um, so the group was just very excited about what we were doing. Um, so, everyone was just on the same page, eager to do it. Um, and it's been, you know, c- keeping it up after that, you know, with, with groups that come in and aren't necessarily expecting that. It's a little bit harder because, you know, people aren't necessarily expecting the, the amount of work that we had to do originally. But it's also gotten, you know, easier as the group has, you know, learned more about what they're doing and that sort of thing. The silence. The silence.
3: The Harmonics, a Stanford-based a cappella group with an unusual version of the Simon and Garfunkel song, The Sound of Silence. We're discussing the collegiate a cappella scene here on VoiceBox with four experts in the field, Will Tarpe, Bill Hare, Dick Sharon, and Charlie Forkish, who arranged the track we just heard. Now I'm really intrigued by this notion of live performance versus the recorded track in collegiate a cappella music. Um, And it seems that uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening around this distinction in the Bay Area, where all of tonight's guests are based. Bill, you said something the other day when we spoke about how you consider live acapella to be a completely different art form from recorded acapella. Why?
6: Well, partly because I'm a recording guy, I think, you know, and, and I, I just see where can I take this. The main thing is that live a cappella, you have so much other stimuli going on. You're sitting in a room, you can smell the room, you can see the group moving. You're actually getting spit on by the vocal percussionist, whatever. Um, in a recording, all you got is your earbuds while you're doing the dishes or whatever. And I think you're losing about, you know, 90% of the whole... Um, you know, the overall feeling of it. So at that point, you need to fill that in with something else. Mm-hmm. And so that's where all the bells and whistles come in and, and um, you know, extra parts that, that the group might not have enough staff for. I mean, we can, we can go over 100 tracks, sometimes up to 200 tracks, um, just filling the whole thing out.
3: For the singers around here that we have in the studio, what's the experience for you of uh, singing live versus recording?
1: I think it's so much more fun singing live and things always sound better in your memory And when you (laughs) walk away from a performance. You're like, that was great. And then you uh, go on YouTube uh, after someone puts it up and you're like, that was not as great as I thought it was. That's (laughs) part of it, too. Yes,
6: when you're in that moment, then it's a whole different feeling. But uh, when that moment is gone uh, and you have it as a repeatable performance, then you catch everything that happened. And that's why the recording is, has such a safety net. Mm-hmm. So here
3: are two tracks that show how radically different a live performance by Collegiate Acapella Group can be from a recorded version for an album. Here's the University of Oregon's On the Rocks with a cover of Lady Gaga's Bad Romance. First, we'll hear the group sing the track live, and then we'll hear the recorded version from the group's album, A Fifth. <laughs>
0: Your bad <laughs> <laughs> I
6: want your bad romance, I want your ugly, <laughs> I
4: want your deceit, I want your I your drama,
3: You're tuned into Voicebox with me, Chloe Veltman. Don't forget, you can access our free podcasts, playlists and other useful information about our series at voicebox-media.org. On tonight's show, all about the college acapella scene, we just heard two versions of Lady Gaga's Bad Romance by the University of Oregon group On the Rocks. The first was done live. And it's a rather lovely video on YouTube where you can see them all dancing and the audience laughing. And the second was from the group's album entitled A Fifth. Now, On The Rocks competed in the sing-off, right, Deke? Yes. Um, and uh, what can you tell us about the competitive side of collegiate acapella? How did it come about and what impact have these competitive events had on the art form?
5: Well, I uh, have a bit of a mea culpa here because I started the uh, International Championship of College Acapella. Back then, it was the National Championship of Mm -hmm. College Acapella, the NCCA, which was kind of a play on the NCAA. Mm -hmm. And the whole purpose was promotion. If you get a bunch of college guys together in in a gym, and they play basketball, no one comes and cares. But when you have March Madness, and you have the Final Four, it becomes a Mm -hmm. huge national, international event. So I thought, if we can do this for a cappella, then we can get huge audiences, and sponsorship, and everything around the college a cappella world. Unfortunately, to my way of thinking, it's backfired a little bit, because college groups now take it so seriously, Uh like the competition is the whole point, and there's no competing in music and in art it's all subjective and so whenever I'm working with these groups or coaching and or talking and making any speeches whatever I always tell them guys just go out there and have fun that's the whole point because you can lose the fun if you're too focused on winning mm-hmm. um, but the but the upside is that it now has significant national attention and then now there's a reality television show that is that is broadcasting to uh, 10 million people this style mm-hmm. of music and it's international now as well
3: Right. So, as a judge of these kinds of competitions, what uh, are you typically looking for? I mean, what are the qualities that you really want to see in a competitive a cappella landscape?
6: Phil. Well, we we don't know until we're actually sitting there because they're going to show us something new and we're going to perk up. Mm-hmm. So, um, so just not the same thing we've seen over and over. Now, of course, they have to be good, and you have to hair quality and not not out of tune. But um, but every once in a while, you know, a group will surprise us with. Um, you know, it, it might even be choreography, you know, a, a new move, a new... Uh, anything just to kind of entertain us. So we're really looking to be entertained more than anything else. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's definitely
5: true. And Within the barbershop world, they have a big national set of competitions, and they have very strict rules mm-hmm. in the uh, collegiate competition and also in the professional level, the harmony soup steaks, There's much more subjectivity, and the, and the judges sit back and they want to be not only impressed, but they want to feel something. So Mm -hmm. the emotional delivery is hugely important, as well as innovation, as well as technical proficiency.
3: Well, let's uh, check out some collegiate a cappella competition winners now here we're going to hear three tracks first up is an original track by marissa bergman and the title of the track is rather enigmatic it's just three asterisk marks i'm not quite sure how we say that on air but um so the track is performed by duke university's out of the blue group and it won the best scholastic original song at the 2012 cara awards what does cara stand for
5: contemporary acapella recording awards
3: right you like acronyms in the collegiate acapella world don't you and then we'll hear another original song, Boomerang by Voices in Your Head, which is an a cappella group from the University of Chicago. And that track won the Best Scholastic Original Song at the Cara competition in 2011. Finally, the third track in the set is from the Berklee College of Music's Pitch Slapped. I love that name. It's an arrangement of Beyonce's Love on Top, and it recently won a Best Arrangement award at the SoJam SoJam So Jam Collegiate Competition. So Jam stands for So Jam. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs>
0: City lights feel warmer than the sun, Burst of orange that bruise the sky, I can't get past tonight, gonna get the timing.
3: I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voice Box. We just heard a trio of recent tracks by three collegiate a cappella groups that have won accolades at various competitions over the last couple of years. First up was the Duke University group, Out of the Blue, and then we played a track performed by Voices in Your Head from the University of Chicago. The third track in the set was from the Berkeley College of Music's Pitch Slapped, and I gather that recording was made by Deke in his it's, living room. In my he just living mentioned, room. they
5: came over for brunch when they were on tour of the West Coast. So.
3: Amazing what you find on YouTube. <laughs> so for more detailed playlist information, please visit voicebox-media.org, where you can also access our free weekly podcasts and get playlists and other Great information. So, our time for this week is sadly coming to an end. Um, I'd like to thank all my guests for making tonight's discussion about collegiate a cappella so very rambunctious. Thanks to Will Tarpe, Charlie Forkish, Bill Hare, and Deke Sharon for joining me in the studio in San Francisco, and to Mickey Rapkin for connecting with us via phone from Los Angeles. Thank you.
6: Thank
3: you. Yeah, it's
5: Thanks. good to
3: be here. Special thank you also to Zandra Clark, who produced tonight's special report about the a cappella shenanigans of Stanford University. Before we go, I'd like to tell you about a great live event that we have coming up on May 16th at 50 Mason Social House, a great new venue in downtown San Francisco. Voicebox is teaming up with Dogfish Head Brewery, one of the country's foremost artisanal beer companies, Beer Cicerone's Pier Piertykowski and seven of the Bay Area's finest professional male singers to create an interactive evening around the theme of drinking songs from around the world. Come and taste a range of limited edition Dogfish Head beers inspired by a variety of global brewing traditions. Hear songs that go with them and join in a live discussion about the ancient link between brewing and singing culture. For more information about this one-of-a-kind event, including how to buy tickets, please visit our website, voicebox-media.org. Voicebox is an independently produced non-profit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel and the web editor is Victoria Lim. Sophia Vo is our development director. The project needs your support, so please help to keep us on the air by visiting voicebox-media.org. And making a donation by clicking the Support Voicebox box box in the right nav. You can make a one-time donation or become a member. Uh, Set up an ongoing monthly pledge for as little as $5 a month. Either way, donating to Voicebox is safe, easy and tax deductible through our online PayPal link. We love to know what you think of us. Please friend us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And you can also write to us anytime at info at voicebox-media.org. And once again, don't forget about our free weekly podcasts on iTunes. I'll play us out now with something from the lighter side of the collegiate a cappella scene. Here's Stanford's Fleet Street Singers with a charming little tune entitled, Everyone Peas in the Shower. Have a songful week.
0: Everyone hey, I've got something to say and it touches each one of us every day Hard to admit, it's a little risqué But
1: I think that it's time that we all threw our shame away Everyone pees in the shower Don't try and tell me you don't Oh, everyone pees in the shower If you think that I'll judge you, I won't If you're laughing right now, then you don't care who knows that you